It is wonderful to be here, honestly, and uh, to see Miss, Miss Andrea, and then, of course, the Rices. It's just been a joy to be able to catch up, uh, because, like you said, it's been so long since I've seen her. I remember Brother Rice, uh, he was always, we were in, uh, I always felt like I was just standing there, just kind of a sloppy first year, and he was always standing there with his hands behind his back. I don't know if he still does that, but he, he would stand there just, and I thought, man, he looks like a military, he looks like a soldier. I want to be like him, and... So it, it took me 20 years, but I'm, I'm getting there. So uh, we're, we're thrilled to be here. And then, of course, to see uh, the Jacobs and uh, the influence that they were in a pliable young man. Uh, I was telling Pastor Jacobs, the, one of my favorite classes was his class on pastoral theology. Um, I, I so, so respect them and, and so love them uh, and, and their faithfulness and their labor of love. And their investment in so many young people over the years. It just, uh, you have no idea the impact that it makes in young people when, when someone can pour their life into them and really invest in them. And uh, the, the fruit that is going to uh, be given to their account because of that. You know, we're, we're so, uh, thank you doesn't say enough. Uh, I, I'm, I'm uh, Brandon Lane. My, my family's kind of scattered. I know my, my two older ones are in the, the teens. Uh, we'll introduce them in the main service. But we are heading to Honduras. I've, I've been in Washington State for the last 20 years. Uh, we're going to show a video, and that'll kind of give a little bit of a, an update and kind of a background where we've been, what we've been doing, and then where we're going also. And then afterwards, I'll come up and, and try to address any questions that anyone might have. I doubt it. I'd love it if there were... Uh, those in the auditorium who had questions, but you've traveled around, you go, does anyone have any questions? And they just stand there like, nope, I'm not raising my hand, you know. But, uh, but anyways, let's show the video, and then I'll come up afterwards uh, with a few more thoughts.
So just as a clarification, um, there's a lot of information there. Uh, and, and I know a lot, of, a lot of times you don't pick up on everything. I was a senior in high school, so my, my pastor, or my, my dad, pastoring in Washington State um, from 1980 to 94. This was right around my senior year of high school. My sister went to Honduras in 93 after she graduated high school to work for one year in a school, Christian school, teaching English. So when my parents went with her to make sure she got settled in to meet the pastor's family who she would be staying with there in Honduras, that's when God had stirred them. Both my parents went to Arlington Baptist College, and they had felt from the, the beginning that they were called to missions. But they never had the open door of opportunity to go to the mission field. So early on, their pastor said, well, you need to get some experience before heading off to the mission field. So they, they went to Houston, Texas, and worked in a church there for five years. And then, uh, and then God closed that door. It was, it was still wonderful, but they felt God moving them. And so they thought, now's the time to go to the mission field. But it wasn't. God instead opened the door to Washington State. And that's when my dad went to Washington State. And so from 1980 to 94, he pastored. So he wasn't even expecting to go to the field at that time. And I know this is not about my dad or anything. I'm just kind of giving you a little back history. So then when they surrendered to Honduras, that was my senior year of high school, I traveled with them. They gave me a choice. You can go on deputation with us and travel and, and homeschool your senior year, or you can, we can wait before we even start the process. Um, I'll just side note, I did not understand how big of a decision that was that they were willing to do. You'll understand those who have felt that calling and that burden and that drive and that urgency. Now I I see how much they were willing to sacrifice so they didn't lose their own children. And they said, we'll wait before we even start the process until after you graduate and get settled in college if that's what you prefer. And they said, or you can wait and, and, and live with some f- close friends, family there in Washington, finish it out while we start deputation. What do you want? And I said, man, I want to go. I want to travel. Let's do this, you know. Um, I know that kind of interrupts certain analytical personalities, very detailed personalities, because their plan is, is kind of disturbed. That's not me. I didn't have a plan, so uh, it, it didn't bother me one bit, so... Traveling the United States sounded like an adventure to me, so I said, let's do this. And I'm so glad I did because, um, as the video had mentioned, that's when I met my wife. It was on deputation in a missions conference. So then I went off to college, Maslin Baptist College, and they went off to language school, and then they lived. So I did not grow up on the field. I do not speak the language because that's, that's a lot of the same questions that we get. Do you speak Spanish already? No, I do not. Uh, un poquito. Uh, that, you know, donde está el baño? You know, I know, I know the key phrases. Where's the bathroom? You know, I'm hungry. Uh, tengo hambre. Uh, so there's, but, but we have to learn the, the language once we get there. I'd been to Honduras half dozen times prior to 2016. Just kind of give you a little bit of background. Because my dad passed away in 2015. My mom came off the field. It was a little bit too dangerous for, for her. Um, so she came back and lived with us. So we had a smaller home, and we converted the garage. My, my pastor knew construction, so we converted the garage to a bedroom for her. But it was still crammed. Uh, and then God gave us a larger house, more than what we ever expected to have. It was through friends, 
and it was at the lowest part of the, the housing market. So we were able to get into it, just we didn't even think it. But, but God, God did that. We had an acre of land uh, for men who like shops, workshops. I had my own shop, 17 by 24 shop in the backyard. It was amazing. We were in there, we moved in March of 2016. In April of 2016, we went on this missions trip with my pastor. One month in our new home, and God began to stir my heart. And I, I didn't understand. That didn't make sense to me. And certainly it didn't make sense to my wife. And, uh, but we just began to pray. And I, I didn't understand what was going on. I, I wanted to make sure of a couple of things. Number one, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just a burden. Because a burden reflects of emotion. To be burdened for someone means you're feeling for someone. And I don't know about you. I know you don't. Feelings can be a bit fickle at times. And when the burden dissipates, it's the clear calling that will keep you where God did place you. And, and so that's what I wanted to make sure. The other thing I wanted to make sure is that I was not feeling like there was a son's obligation to fill his dad's shoes because they labored there. So those were the two things I, I was concerned about myself. And so I prayed for seven months and, and fasted, you know, for meals and, and just sought the Lord in my devotions. God, you have got to make this blatantly and, and so plainly clear for me. If I'm moving my family to Honduras, this has to be your clear calling on my life. And it was seven months later that God confirmed in my devotions, I, I can tell you, it was on... Uh, November 12th, it was on a Saturday, and it was around 11 o'clock. And I was, I was uh, reading my devotions, or actually I had already read my devotions, but I was kind of praying as I was walking around the house. And I opened up again a verse that God had laid on my heart, and he confirmed it through scriptures. And I just, I'm excited. I'm excited what God is going to do in Honduras. There are so many opportunities. I've got, I'll, I'll take a few moments and we'll talk about Honduras a little bit, but before I do, I wanted to open it up for any questions, just in case someone did have a really burning question that uh, maybe you don't know anything about Honduras or, or, or are curious about certain things. Anyone? I'm not surprised. Normally, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, man. That was wonderful. Okay, we'll start with you. Good morning. Population, so I mentioned in the video 8.6 million, but since the video, it's now outdated. Uh, we, we, we made the video last February, and it's now outdated. A new census came out. It's more closer to 10 million. It's 9.9, 9.8. Of course, depends on which resource, but it's over 9 million right now, closer to 10 million. Yes. I saw another hand. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yes, sir, I was. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Your, your hand, was, was it a question or were you just stretching? Oh, okay, excellent. Yes, sir. That's a great question. What's the, what's the greatest hindrance that we might have in Honduras for evangelism? I would say 
Um, there might be some resistance from the Catholic Church, but that's going to be typically up in the mountains. So when we go up into the mountains for those mountain works, that's typically when you're going to find an isolated community that, that maybe you can only get there by hiking. Uh, a vehicle can't go up there. There are so many communities that are li- that way. You can only drive to a certain point, then you're going to have to hike two or three hours up into a community. When we get into those communities, then yes, we'll most likely have to deal with some resistance from the Catholic Church because there's such a, a heavy influence of Catholicism in a community. And a lot of times the Catholic priest will actually run the entire community. He's the, the mayor, if you want to say that, you know, to a community. And so if they don't give entrance uh, for us, or the Catholic priest won't. But if, they, if there's not a family that would open up their home, if we don't have a clear invitation, it would be very difficult to stay. So... Um, give you an example. My dad started a work up in one of the mountains, and one of the families had gotten saved, opened up their home, and said, I want you to start a church in our home. Well, the Catholic priest said, you need to get out of the, this community. You have no permission to be here. And my dad said, I do have permission. I have permission from this family, and they've opened up their home. And the Catholic priest said, if you try to cross, there was a, a bridge that he had to cross to get up in the community, and said, if you come to this bridge and try to come back, I'll have guys waiting for with you or for you with machetes will kill you. So that was, that was a threat. My dad said, meet me at the bridge, because that's my dad. And I'm pretty sure he had a machete too. I don't know if he was going to do a sword fight or whatever, but, uh, but he showed up. It was just my dad was bold. So he showed up, and God protected. They weren't there. Um, so where we'll be basing out of, this is kind of a, let me give you just a brief, and then I'm going to continue to answer your question. Where we're going to be basing out of is in Don Lee. It's about 200,000 in that town. What I believe God is doing from this side of the door of opportunity, you know what I mean when I say that? I have to walk through the door first. I don't know how many times God opens up a door, and from this side, I think I know what the other side looks like until I walk through, and I'm like, oh, I had no idea. So that's, I say that, but what I believe God is doing is, establishing a training hub and sending hub in Donnelly, Honduras. Now, I can talk about that a little bit, some of the opportunities, but in that town, there would not be resistance from the Catholic Church. The greatest hindrance that we're going to have is the fact that they're so open and accommodating to Americans. That's a great problem to have, but they would just agree to whatever you're asking them to do. So the greatest hindrance, if we want numbers, it would be pretty easy to get numbers. We don't want numbers. We want changed lives that only Christ can do through the, the presence of the Holy Spirit and dwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. We want, we want to see true converted Christians, those who have given their hearts. So the greatest hindrance, and I'm completely transparent, is the discernment we will have to have in individual conversations to make sure they truly do understand what we're saying. Um, from young people to old people, the, uh, elderly, they, they would open up their doors um, and have us come in. Complete strangers, just because we're Americans and because they're Latin Americans, they're very easygoing people, they're so friendly, so friendly, so unselfish. Um, and so they would open, open up their home, have you come in. They don't even know what you want. Come in in, have a seat. Do you want something to eat? You know, and, and, uh, and then they would listen to what you say. And if you're asking them to pray a prayer, they'll pray a prayer. 
along with everything else that they're doing. And so that's the biggest hindrance is we have to tread slowly and there no doubt will be a twofold learning curve culturally, gleaning from the experience of other missionaries that work in Latin American countries, and then obviously, first and foremost, a dependence upon the Holy Spirit of God to guide us in those conversations, that we might have that divine understanding and discernment in those conversations, because every conversation is going to be different. You know, there, there'll probably be, be some go-to verses that we'll find that helps in conversations, but ultimately it's just going to be the Spirit of God guiding us in those. That's the greatest hindrance that we have right now. It was a really good question. I thought I saw maybe another hand. Yes, sir, in the back. Um, yes, kind of. Um, they have a democracy. I mean, they, they vote on their, their president. They have a president. But it's the, the government's very corrupt. So on all levels. The higher it goes up, the more corruption. So the current president they, they have, they hate. Um, and his brother, the president's brother, got caught in messing with the cartel, drug activity and things like that. So that's what they expect from their government. So even though they do do vote, um, at any moment the military could step in. You know, in a lot of those countries, the police are more like military than actually police. I mean, all the police, it's nothing to walk around in Honduras and there'll be a security guard with a sawed-off shotgun at a gas station. I mean, they're everywhere. They're armed guards everywhere. Um, and, um, and then the police, like I said, they'll, they'll have more assault rifles than anything. And then you do have the military, which is completely different. But God is doing a work. And there's, there's some amazing doors opening up I'd like to share with you in just a little bit. Uh, any other questions? Okay. One of the things that I'm, I'm, it's so evident that God is doing a work there is he's opening up so many different doors. First of all, we have complete liberty to go into the schools. Catholic schools. They want us to come. Um, and even though it would be classified as a Catholic school, they love when Americans come. Both my children play instruments and trumpet and violin and, and some others, and that's a huge open door to have them come in and play music. They love that. They love that. And, and then they want us to teach anything. There is no restriction to what we teach or preach. And they just, they just love the fact that Americans can come in and take time. We could schedule this every week. Right now, we have more opportunities than we have manpower to handle all these opportunities. And that's, that's completely true. Um, so we have complete access to the schools. Um, they, they allow us to pass out tracts, New Testaments, uh, and whole Bibles in, in the schools. There are stipulations and the only stipulation is from the teachers themselves or from the principal is if you're going to be passing out Bibles, you have to pass out enough for everyone. No problem. And a lot of times they'll, they'll want a special gift for the teachers. Do you, do, can you, do you have something? It would be respectful to have something extra for the teachers. So they, they love whole Bibles. And sometimes we can bring in leather-bound Bibles, and they cherish the Bible. Um, it's, it's so different. Uh, 
if you've never been to another culture, I would encourage you to do that because it, it so contrasts what we are used to here in America, in the United States. But so we have complete liberty for that. The other thing that is, is really exciting is we have a, a direct connection with the police there located in Don Lee. So the missionary I'll be working with, I grew up with, we went to the same Christian school at Faith Baptist under my dad's pastorate, and we'll be working with them. Uh, I went, I've been multiple times with him now to the police station. They asked us if, they, if we could address them once a week in their formation around 7 o'clock and give them a challenge from the Bible. They asked us. And then when COVID happened and there was more stress and the country was in kind of a turmoil and then there was two hurricanes that hit Honduras recently back-to-back, they requested, can you come back two more times, make it three times a week? So we have preachers and some of the staff going, rotating through every three times a week, addressing. In the beginning, and I've been there and I've done it two or three times now, um, and in the beginning you'd see these, these police you know, standing in formation and you'd give a gospel presentation and no one would really move. They would be respectful and bow their head for prayer. But now we're seeing officers getting saved. Um, and and they're, they're now, we've got pictures, and they're all on their, on their knees. And they're, they're humbling themselves before God. God is doing a work. And God is opening up doors that we can't, we can't even wrap our brains around right now. The police commandant knows us personally. And uh, we don't have to have an appointment to go in and talk to him. We can show up at the police station and just say, we need to see the commandant. I was there with Brother Tate one time, and the, the secretary was like, I, I don't, do you have an appointment? He was like, it's okay. And walked on by, and then just, you know, he was like, knocked on the door, and the police commandant was like, come in, come in, come in. You know, so we came in. It's just a wonderful relationship, working relationship. The other thing is that um, there is a specific department of the police there in Honduras, and their sole purpose is to educate communities in two areas, in drugs, the cartel, to prevent, for prevention, as well as gang prevention. Because those are the two major issues in, in Honduras. I mentioned uh, it was number four in the most violent countries and some of those cities. It was the top murder capita of the world in uh, San Pedro Sula and Tegucigalpa. To, uh, Tegucigalpa is the capital city. San Pedro Sula is the other largest city in Honduras towards the north um, and more, even more modern than Tegucigalpa. But those two cities were murder capita. Of the, and I don't know if they've maintained that status, but it's a violent, violent country. And it's in those two areas, gangs and the drugs, drug cartel. And so their own, their, their, they have a department specifically for educating communities to try to prevent gang activities, building in those areas, as well as the drugs and so forth. And they don't do traffic stops. They don't get called to emergencies. That's it. That's what they do. So the commissioner, the commandant, will commission them to send them to another community and have them go out and do this. And this is what many of those, those soldiers or those police officers in that department are saved. And they have found a greater success rate where the word of God goes. And they've partnered together 
with our ministry there and say the commandant has commissioned us to go to a new community. Get this. The police has commissioned us to go to a new community two, three hours away. They'll show up at our ministries, load up their police trucks with boxes of New Testaments and say, we'll go pass them out. You guys come with us. You preach. So they do, they're doing their, their commissioned work to educate on preventing gangs and preventing drugs and the cartel, and they're finding the best success for our, our responsibility is to have the Word of God go first and to get them to understand, to have a personal relationship with Christ. And so all the time we're being asked, we need more Bibles. God has opened up, um, I would say, just favor with the ministry that we're with, that we're being sent out of, with specific Bible printing ministries. I don't know if you've ever heard of Beams, Bibles, or there's another ministry in, in um, Shelbyville, Tennessee called BLMF, Bible Literature Missionary Foundation. And our pastor is on, on the board there at that particular ministry, but their sole purpose is printing the Word of God. In, in multiple, lang- dozens of languages. And so we can get New Testaments. And these ministries are giving us containers filled with New Testaments. And whole Bibles, and John and Romans, and tracts. And in uh, 2000, I don't know, 2012, 2013, we sent over 500,000 Bibles I think it ended up being three containers, 40-foot containers, were shipped to Honduras. They're all gone. They're all, they're, they've all been passed out. Just in the last few years, a container comes of 75,000 New Testaments. They're all passed out. Those, that that uh, training conference that we have, International Pastors Training Conference, they're coming in from Guatemala and El Salvador and Nicaragua, and we actually had some pastors coming in from Mexico as well to that conference. And, and we'll give them as many Bibles as they can take, New Testaments, for their ministries and, and as many tracts as they want to take. And, and we're having other ministries saying, we're, we're all out. We need to come back. And they'll come back to the ministry with more truckloads and load up boxes of New Testaments and, and hand those out. We just had uh, um, 75,000 dropped in a 20-foot container. Uh, I was there in January uh, for a quick trip. It had just been dropped while I was there. They're already out. And we already have another 20-foot container, uh, 75,000, being shipped there as well. So uh, it, it's, it's in the process right now. So what I'm saying is that God has opened up so many doors, and the Word of God is, is being sent out and given out to communities all over, not just Honduras, but in the Central American countries. We're seeing God move. There's, there's an unusual open door that's occurring in Central American countries. I think there's probably, in just my limited opinion, um, some major open doors that God is doing among the world. I, I see something great going on in the Philippines where the gospel is so received. I feel like there's a revival going on in the Philippines from some of the reports we're getting from the Philippines. I see there's a, a huge open door in many countries in Africa 
That's, a, that's another one. And I also feel the same thing about Central America. There's just this readiness to receive the Word of God and hear. They're, they're tired of Catholicism because they're coming out. It's cultural. So if you're Honduran, you're Catholic, unless you profess that you're something else. Because it's more cultural than it is religious, even now. It used to be religious, but there's so many of the population that are non-practicing Catholics. It's just something you are. And they walk in. Those who actually do attend Mass walk in. It's dead. There's nothing going on. And so what they are seeing, or what we're seeing, are many Hondurans are turning to something different. The Bible talks about, um, in Acts, there was a dearth among the world, a worldwide dearth. And contextually, it's referring to a physical famine back occurring at that time. But oh my goodness, how true is that in our, in our country today and in our world today of a spiritual dearth, a spiritual famine where they're lacking something. And, and we see so many individuals turning for hope, some answer. I'm from the Northwest. I'm from Washington State. I've heard that is the preacher's graveyard. Now, I'm a Texan, born a Texan, but I was raised in Washington. So that's kind of all I know. So it's been a huge eye-opener when I come back to the South and spend more time than just a vacation, family vacation like I did when I was a kid. And I'm walking around and I see these billboards with the gospel on it. We're not used to that in Washington. Billboards that say, you know, you need peace or need comfort or turn to Jesus. Jesus is the answer or the gospel message or something like that. Or restaurants with verses on there. Just just fast food restaurants they'll throw a verse on? That that, does not happen in Washington State. In fact, I think if someone tried to do that, there would be an uproar. And I'm not even kidding. I think there would be legal ramifications for any kind of restaurant, even if it was personally owned. You know why? Because they're crazy there. They're crazy. And there is such a resistance to God. I don't know how, you, how it is when you soul win in this area. It's been too long since I've been here. But in Washington, you start a conversation when, when it comes around to inviting them to church. You don't, you don't say, let me ask you a question. If you were to die today, do you know where you would go? Heaven or hell? You don't, you don't approach it that way. You start off and say, do you believe in the existence of God? Because a lot of the times... They don't. That's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with atheism, agnosticism, where they are rejecting even the ideology of a higher power because they don't want to be held accountable. And I know that's just Washington State or the Northwest, but I don't care where you go. There is a spiritual famine everywhere. You know what we're finding the biggest problem in the South? Everyone's saved. But they're not. I don't care where you go, you're going to have a challenge, but the answer's still the same. It's still Christ. So you go to, or you, you go to Honduras, and, and there is this, this uh, resistance to the Catholic movements because there's nothing there. So then... In op- uh, opposite or kind of contrasting that deadness is they go to the Pentecostals. 
because there's a form of life. Man, there's some emotion there at least. And that's what they're turning to. But we understand the, the, the doctrine, the false doctrine of what they're teaching in the Pentecostal movement there is not helping them either. Works for salvation and, and some of these other things. And, and so they're still turning and they're trying to, to see something. They're trying to hold on to some sort of a hope, trying to find an answer. Why, why do I feel empty? The only answer they have is Jesus Christ will fill that void. They're also turning to the Mormons, the cults, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. Mormons, I think, being even more popular and more common there because there is a a show of money. There is a, a Mormon tabernacle right down the street from our church in Honduras or one of the churches that we've been going to that, that hosts that meeting. And uh, it's beautiful. It is so nice for American standards. It looks like you would take a church from the States and just it's right there in this gated community. You, you're driving by falling down dilapidated uh, adobe buildings and houses, and right there you have this green manicured lawn, paved parking, beautiful auditorium, and there is an absolute draw to that for the poor uh, Hondurans. And so the cults are, are swaying them. They're doing a better job, unfortunately. Well, in most areas, I would say, with evangelism. And it's one of the things that they say is, you know, if they convert someone, you have to give them a list of 25 of your, your family and friends. And they'll go to them then and say, so-and-so just made a decision and really is burdened for you. And they're just coming in at the groves. So there is an absolute need. The poverty is, is something that we're not used to. It's, it's very unusual there. They look at Americans as super wealthy. And in our standards, uh, I'm in the ministry. I've been in the ministry for the last 20 years. Um, and I'm now a missionary. I think most people who have been in the ministry, at least in fundamental Baptists and, and missionaries, are not wealthy people. By, by, we say, any standard. But that's not actually true by American standards. We say, my wife and I, will just give you a quick story and illustration, and then I'll be done. Um, we had saved some money. I had three $100 bills we had been saving, and I, I just for emergency funds when we went to Honduras. Um, it was a missions trip, so if pastor needed some, if I was with him, and there was just, we just saved some. And $300 over the course of several months, that's not a lot of money. It's $300, and it'd be nice to have anyone hand you $300, but just granted, I mean, in, in the context, that's not a whole lot of money to save, okay? But I, I put in $100 bills so I didn't have a wad of cash, and I had it in my wallet. Missionary there, Jason Tate, said, hey, why don't you come with me? We need to drop off this pastor to the mechanic shop. His vehicle barely made it. It took him six, seven hours to get here. It was only a two-hour drive. It was overheating, so he'd have to pull over. The bearing in the fan was going out, so it wasn't cooling the vehicle. So we get there. That's what they found out. They're talking in Spanish. I don't understand. Finally, Brother Tate, I said, what's going on? And he said, oh, it's the bearing in the fan. It's not cooling down, and he can't afford the repairs so they're going to duct tape it, and he's going to try to get back to his, his community. 
One of the things you learn over the years is not to flash your money around, and uh, especially missionaries who stay there say, don't, even if your heart is moved, don't just pull out money and start throwing money around. The little kids will come up, just breaks your heart. They're in poverty and they're in rags and they're, they're, they're begging for anything. Um, but the problem is, is that you, you just go, yeah, I'll give you something. You know, here's, go get some food. They'll probably never get it. Because they'll run off, give it to their parents, and the parents will use it on alcohol and drugs. So that's why the, the missionaries say, as much as you want to, don't. There are other ways we can help them, you know, physically, than you wasting money. And what is nothing for us, a $5 bill, is a lot for them. And so I, I kind of whispered, I said, well, I have some extra money. How much is it? And they go, it's $100 to repair his, his vehicle. And I said, I, I have that. Can I take care of it? Would that be okay? And he said, oh, that'd be a blessing. So I reached in my wallet. Because the, the price was, uh, or the repairs were $100, in the States, you get into something, it might cost a little bit more. I didn't have any other cash, so I handed him $200. My mistake. Because, oddly enough, the repairs went to exactly $200. So, I don't know. But regardless, they were, they were able to fix and, and repair the vehicle. And I said, uh, how, how long would it take that pastor, that particular pastor, to save $100? And he goes, oh, that's about a month's wage. Now, I had three months' wages in my wallet for spending money. I, I don't know what the average, let's just say $4,000 a month, you know, in, in Washington, that would be about middle ground, maybe. $4,000. that would be like someone going, I am not wealthy, you know, and pull out his wallet. He's got $16,000 in his wallet. You know, no, this is just extra spending money, just emergency funds. We're just like, you're not. So you can't tell them, I'm not, I'm not wealthy, because you are. And obviously we understand physically that's not going to help them. And we're not there, and we're not called to try to change Honduras economically. We're there, God has called us to give them the gospel and to lead souls to Christ. Not just that, discipleship. We have to train them. We have to give them the, the understanding. And I'm, I'm shocked, I, I know my time is up, I'm shocked at the need of current Christians who need to be discipled, current pastors who need to be discipled. We, we, that first year, we gave them Strong's Concordance, all in Spanish, and uh, concordances and, and, and Bible helps. They didn't know what to do. So we had to take those sessions and teach them how to use that kind of stuff. They just they don't know how to organize their messages. We had one pastor say, you keep your messages after you're done? Because he was throwing them away. After he preached one, he would throw it away. Because he didn't know you could actually teach that again somewhere else. What we think is common sense is not common there. There's a, there's a massive need. We appreciate the opportunity to be here. We also are, are looking forward to the main service, and, and then we'll be back tonight as well. If you have any questions afterwards, please don't hesitate to ask us, and then we have a prayer card in the back. Please ask that. If you won't mind, grab one, and then just when God brings us to your mind, just say a quick prayer for us. We'll probably need it at that time. Thank you. The rest. All right, appreciate that. Let's stand and have a word of prayer. As you think about it, 
Think about how blessed we truly are in America. Think about how blessed you are. You say, well, I might not, I, I don't feel like a millionaire, and you're, you're probably not a millionaire, but I tell you what, when you think about economically what we have, I want you to think about this as well. Spiritually, we are just as wealthy. Spiritually, we are just as wealthy. And those countries in Honduras and, and much of Latin America and South America, spiritually, they are starving and dying without the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's so commonplace for us. And we have it everywhere. God, I thank you for learning a little bit about Honduras. Learning about the dire need, Father, on the mission field. And God, this is just one country. And that, could, that same testimony and that same idea could be replicated country after country after country, Father, and across Latin America, Central America, South America, across Africa, and, and God, across so many places. And God, may we understand how truly blessed we are to have a church, to have friends, to have family who are saved, freedom. God, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. God, may we be concerned with the lost and dying world that is all around us. God, those that we cannot see. And yet, God, even those right here in Maslin, Ohio, who we can see, who need you. God, I pray that you'd even speak to hearts through this testimony that was given. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. With our heads bowed, we'll just have a short hymn of invitation. I'll not drag it out, but I do want to give you an opportunity. Take a moment and thank God for the, for the blessings that you have, number one. Because truly we are blessed. We really are. To take a moment and pray for pray for the lanes as they go to Honduras. Pray for these other mission fields, for these other places that are in dire, desperate need for the gospel.